It really is always great to be here with you once a year. Not that, I mean, it would be great to be here with you more often. I don't mean it's, it's one, because it's once a year. But, but it seems like it was just yesterday to me. So thank you for the opportunity. I don't, I don't preach very often. And I always, though, when I do, I always wear a tie. And I wore a tie here last year. And I, I so this year I remembered, you have now entered a no-tie zone. <laughs> but I was saying to Val up in the back, man, I get so nervous. I get so nervous. And Valerie said, I get so nervous before I do announcements. And I said, I get so nervous when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> so you might be able to relate. It's almost Christmas. We always watch the Charlie Brown Christmas. And there are some great moments in that, some great theological moments. But thinking about Charlie Brown, there was a quote, there is a quote from Charlie Brown that was not part of Charlie Brown Christmas. And that's when he explained to Lucy, Lucy, I have a whole new philosophy of life. From now on, I'm only going to dread one day at a time. And I, I know at Christmas we're, we're supposed to be happy and have everything all put together and be on top of the world, but there might be somebody here who's not in that perfect condition, and you might be able to relate to Charlie Brown's philosophy. As we get started, let's read Psalm 46, and if you can turn to it, please do, and if, if you're not, that's fine, listen along. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm going to talk to you, with you this morning, about something I know is true and right, but I still find it difficult to do. There's no doubt about it, but that doesn't mean it's a piece of cake to live it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been scared? <laughs> Silly question. Have you ever been fearful? Have you noticed, now, if you latch on to the specific answer you gave to that question with, yes, I've been scared, I've been fearful about, you may notice that some of those things, some of those fears are not all that impressive in the list of possible fears. They're those little ones, but they're big to you. Hold on to that, those thoughts, those answers, 
of your experience in that way. And think about this. When Patrick Henry declared, give me liberty or give me death, he was expressing the fundamental quest of the human condition. He was calling for freedom. The reason that resonates with us, give me liberty or give me death, over all of these generations is because we're made for that. We're made for freedom. Now think about our American experience. It's punctuated by great documents, great statements, great speeches, and you can call some of them to your own mind instantly. The Declaration of Independence, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, the moment when Ronald Reagan stood in East Berlin and said, tear in, in Berlin and said, tear, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And there are lots of other examples, and they all have something in common. All of these great statements and documents and speeches in our history call for freedom. They celebrate freedom. They reinforce the greatest theme of American writing, thinking, and living. And that greatest theme of our, of our writing and our thinking and our living at its highest level is simply freedom. We embrace a tradition of history that celebrates freedom, not fear. It's a big difference. If we celebrated and embraced fear instead of freedom, ask yourself, where would our greatest moments be? The answer is they wouldn't. They wouldn't be at all. So we're talking about American life at this moment. But think beyond that, we're actually talking about something else. We're talking about also one of the most important themes of the Christian life. That came first. The Christian life is actually designed by God to be a life of freedom. The exhilaration of freedom has no room for the bondage of fear. They're polar opposites. You remember the opening question of just a moment ago, have you ever been scared? Have you ever been fearful? And you answered that question in your mind, then you already know what I've, already, what I've just said, that fear is the antithesis of freedom. And the funny thing is we don't want it. We don't want fear. We don't want to embrace it. Unfortunately, it does that job for us, doesn't it? It embraces us, or it clings to us, because it's a feature of our fallen nature. It's a haunting, it's really just a haunting presence that doesn't go away. It pursues us in our finiteness. There's a big difference between freedom and fear. Think about it this way. Freedom, it animates our energies. It animates the blessings of God in our lives. It actually animates our own enjoyment of God. Fear paralyzes our energies. It paralyzes our enjoyment of God's blessings. It actually paralyzes, in a sense, in our lives, God himself. Fear in this, as we see it, as we begin to look at it in this light, it's, it's actually the enemy of what the Westminster Catechism called the chief purpose of man, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
So one of the great political theorists and writers in Western civilization, Thomas Hobbes, had a big influence and still does in the study of the development of political thought. His masterwork is titled Leviathan, about the nature of government and the nature of man and the relationships between all of them. He spoke of this topic as well. He put it this way, fear and I came into the world as twins. He, he described that ex the common experience of all of us in our fallen nature. This is what happened. This is, one of the, this is one of the unfortunate effects of our fallen nature. Fear and us came into the world as twins. Thomas Hobbes went on to describe what he called the state of nature. It's not a... It's not a Encouraging description, he put it this way, described it as a life of continual fear and danger of violent death, and the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and as if that weren't enough, short. And it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not an inaccurate description of a lot of the human experience, is it? As Hobbes described it, we can see ourselves in this solitary, poor, nasty, and brutish condition, living short lives, living in continual fear. And it's in this state that we find ourselves so often living under the weight of a debilitating question. The question, what if? Let me read a poem to you by a poet some of you are familiar with. And if you've heard it a hundred times, it's okay. It'll still, it will still make sense. Shel Silverstein's poem, What If. Last night while I lay thinking here, some what-ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what-if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow taller? What if my head starts getting smaller? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems swell, and then the nighttime what-ifs strike again. At some points, that can make, us, can make us laugh, and that's a good momentary relief. But behind the laughs, I think we all know the paralysis of what-if. It's real at its heart. It cultivates fear. And we find ourselves living under that weight of that relentless question, what if, as we go about our daily lives. It's really, unfortunately, a manifestation of a futile attempt on each of our parts to control God, rather than trusting in His control. And as I said at the beginning, it's, it's somewhat easy to speak about this because it's so common to us, but that doesn't mean in speaking about it it's easy to fix it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, at the heart of our Christian belief is a doctrine that God is infinitely powerful, good, and wise. And, that, and that's good head knowledge for us. It's amazing heart experience when the two can come together. That part's harder to get to and to live with. But it is at the heart of our faith, a doctrine that God is infinitely good and wise and powerful. And we know from Scripture that it can be at the heart of our practical experience. How do we know that? We know it in many ways because Scripture testifies to it, and we'll see that. We know it in the most, in the most direct and full way through the death and resurrection of Jesus because in that, God crushed the head of the enemy. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. He made all things new. And he made it possible for fear to be crushed by faith. By faith. Not by our own power. Not by our own wit. Not by our insight or determination. But by faith. How interesting is that? You can't see faith. You can't see your fears. Faith when it's real, crushes the fears that are real and unreal. Faith is the substance, that's a weighty word, of things hoped for. I haven't gotten them yet. And it's the evidence, it's a visual experiential idea, of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So those great statements and speeches and, and documents we reflected on a few moments ago, they have freedom as their theme. That's true, and that's important. But the authors of those documents and speeches and statements didn't originate the idea of freedom. Freedom is a powerful idea. It's a powerful experience. It didn't originate with us in the United States. It originated from the heart of God. Freedom is an idea from the heart of God. It was originally explained to us in Scripture and continues to be, and you know, if you, if you read Scripture looking for the theme of freedom, you will see it jump off the pages. That's where it started. Freedom is a consistent, clear, and continuous teaching throughout the Bible. And the reality of the freedom that the Bible teaches is summed up in the reflection of David in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my... So here's the good news. There's a perfect harmony between our need and our longing to be delivered from fear and the readiness and power of God to deliver us. And that's the only way we get delivered. Divine deliverance is necessary in this battle because in its absence, as you already know, our fallen nature clings to our fears. They may be rational, like a train barreling down the tracks and you you shouldn't be there and you're parked in your car at that moment. They may be irrational, and many of them, they are, but they're real in both categories. That struggle exhausts our energies. We find ourselves fighting against phantoms and figments. We find ourselves always fighting against the what-ifs of our lives. Divine deliverance is necessary. 
C.S. Lewis wrote about this experience that we're talking about. He wrote about the cat in the chair and the fearful person who's scared to go near the cat in the chair and how, when that person is shown that the chair is actually empty, says, but what if the most scary and ferocious cats are really invisible? What if they are? See, that's got to stop, right? It's reminiscent of what we read in Psalm 53, verse 5. There they were, overwhelmed with dread, when there was nothing to dread. Speaking of the people who have lost sight of God. There they were, overwhelmed with dread, when there was nothing to dread. What if there's, what if there's poison in my cup? It's plain to see that this question, what if, that dogs us, is really asked from an undercurrent of fear. And, it, and its big problem, the big problem with this, is not only the nuisance that it causes, not only the, the distraction, not only the anxiety it causes, but a bigger, a bigger cost of fear is that it, it really sweeps away the better and higher things that we're meant for, the better and higher things that God has called us to. Good thing is that there's an answer to this. There's a very clear scriptural answer. There's a critical insight that can turn this whole thing around. It's simple. It's as simple as, as recognizing this. What if? What if is the wrong question. It's the wrong two words. Do you remember when we read Psalm 46? There are two much better words, two much more powerful words that answer and sweep away what if. There is. Not what if, there is. The reality of God in Scripture and who He is and what He does is very powerfully spoken of in many places in a statement of being, in a statement of now, a statement of reality, a statement of I am. There is. Psalm 46, after saying that the world is falling apart, or just might, therefore we will not fear, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the earth give way, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, you have a picture of complete tumult and chaos and destruction. And the next, the next two words in the psalm, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. And here's two more words for you that are better than what if. God will. When you begin to ask what if, there's two stronger words to answer that question. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. This makes it very clear that, not that our fears aren't real, but that God is greater than our fears. Not that our experience, our experiential struggles will go away, but that God will take care of everything. If we think that way, then this next statement from Psalm 46 makes so much sense. God is 
our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. See the sense of immediacy, presence, statement of being, reality. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You have that on one hand. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and everything falls apart. And we find ourselves saying, but wait, what if? To which we say, no, there is God will. What if there's poison in my cup? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if I get sick and die? What if, no, there is God will. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. No question our fears are large to us. God's bigger than, remember VeggieTales, God's bigger than the boogeyman. He's not only bigger than the boogeyman, he's bigger than any of our fears. This is a truth that's been thoroughly tested. Look back, we'll look back to a scriptural example. It's been thoroughly tested by those who actually were facing the depths of danger and the onslaught of, of as Hobbes put it, violent death. I'm going to read something to you from Hebrews 11. And you can look it up. You can look it up later. It's, it's Hebrews 11, starting in verse 33. Speaking of believers who have preceded that time, of course preceded us by so many centuries, but have set a standard of courage and practice for us. And here's how it describes them. Who through faith, I'm starting in 1133 in Hebrews, who through faith, get this, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, I'm going to keep reading. I know it's, it's no fun when you stop, when you're reading something, you stop and interrupt yourself and you want me just to go on. I know. But, but go back to the first phrase in, in verse 33. How do they do this? How does it say they did this? Through faith. Through faith. That's, 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 that's the key to everything we're talking about when we put fear on one hand and we want to be free. The bridge, the only way you get there is through faith. So here's what they did through faith. Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. It does not sound like a gathering of the what-if club, does it? What did they know? They, they knew God through faith. They knew that their faith in God made their position stronger than their fears could ever be. They knew that perfect faith casts out all fear, as we read in 1 John 4. So yes, it's true that we in fear came into the world as twins. And the Apostle Paul cried out, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And his answer was, Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
There is an answer to our fears. It's that the presence and reality of God in our lives answers and is bigger than our fears and opens to us the gates of freedom. The key is faith. We have, we have to believe that this is true in order to appropriate all of, the, all of the strength that comes with it. I love this description from Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32, that fits into now our, our response to the, to the intellectual assent we can give to the idea that God is bigger than our fears, and if we live in that belief, we can be free and live a life of freedom instead of being paralyzed by fear. Here's a description of early Christians who lived that way. And this, this passage from Hebrews 10 has always resonated with me as a, wow, that's really amazing and awesome to see faith in practice according to the, this description. Here we go. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side by those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who believe and are saved. Oswald Chambers said, Do not take the pressure of your provision upon yourself. It is not only wrong to worry, it is unbelief. Worrying means that we do not believe that God can look after the practical details of our lives, and it is never anything but those details that worry us. I don't like thinking about fear and worry as an expression of unbelief because it means I'm guilty of it all the time. But I can't read Scripture and not agree that fear and worry, on my part, are expressions of unbelief especially when so many of my fears are like the cat in the chair that's invisible. It's not even there. Living in dread when there is nothing to dread. Fear is not from faith. Period. And faith is not from fear. The two do not go together. So Psalm 56 rings really clearly on this, the third verse. It says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. The Bible doesn't say we won't be afraid. It says God will deliver us when we are afraid. And as we walk in that, in that faith, yes, we will be afraid less than we were before. We will become stronger. We will become more courageous. We will become more settled and at peace in our spirits. 
we will be able to face the day and its anxieties better than we could before. Will you ever be totally free from all irrational or unnecessary or, or, or little bothersome fears that paralyze? Will you ever be totally free? I don't know. I don't expect to be, but until, but I expect if I'm living a life of faith, I expect to do better and to experience more of that strength, and maybe, you know, I, I could be wrong here because the Bible does say in many places it offers descriptions of freedom from fear. So even, even in now, in our finiteness, when we look at the goal, we may say, well, we won't get all the way to the goal. Well, you know what? Scripture teaches that we can be free, be free from fear. Through faith, we can be fearless. We can live with our face toward the sun, spiritually speaking, instead of looking down into the darkness or being smothered by the gloom. Here's a big test. Thomas Paine, author of Common Sense, said, I love the man who smiles at trouble. That's hard to do. It sounds like he may have been influenced by a, by a scripture in Psalm 112 where it describes the man of faith. He will have no fear of bad news, Psalm 112 says. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. Smile at trouble? Is it possible? Psalm 112 and Hebrews 10 and 11 that we looked at and Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And Scripture after Scripture show us that yes, it's possible. As Jesus said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How do we get with God on this? Through, through faith. We've got, to, we've got to believe in what Scripture tells us about it. We've got to believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you know that in Scripture there's an even better description than that really great description of smiling at trouble? There's an even better description. In, in Proverbs 31, where there's a description of the woman of faith, and one of the descriptions is that she can laugh at the days to come. How can that be possible? Because she knows the one who has already written and directed the days to come. So scripture gives us the immeasurable encouragement that in the face of our fears, there is deliverance into freedom through faith in a God who's bigger than our fears, who truly does know the end from the beginning, who truly does understand our weaknesses and before whom we don't need to be ashamed about the nature of our fears. But we can do, as it says, we must do, as it says in Philippians 4, present our request to Him with thanksgiving, so that His peace, which is beyond comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So in faith, we've got to go out of here, and we've got to keep pursuing this this goal 
to not live according to the question, what if? But to realize we don't need to fear the what ifs. We don't need to fear even if. Even if the earth gives way, which it seems like in some ways, maybe more and more so, it is doing. Even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Even if everything falls apart. But what if there's poison in my cup? It says in Psalm 116, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. Those are two scary words, what if. But there's two better words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's two more better words. God will help her at break of day. And there's two more. Be still and know that he is God. The Lord Almighty is with us. With us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that this is true. We can echo the prayer from the Gospels. Lord, we believe. Please help our unbelief. So we go out in confidence in you, Father, knowing that you have promised us it will be richly rewarded. And may we live in the days ahead, not according to the question, what if, but according to the assurance that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That God will help us at break of day. That we can be still and know that you are God. We thank you for saving us in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.